So during my days as a physician in North Carolina, I served on a hospital committee that reviewed labor and delivery cases. We examined decisions made by doctors and nurses caring for mothers and newborns around the time of childbirth. I will never forget sitting in a conference room with a particular obstetrician while he made the case that if a pregnant woman wanted pain relief during labor, she should have to sign all the informed consent forms before she went into labor. His point was that the pain of childbirth might prevent a mother from fully understanding all the risks and benefits of epidural anesthesia. Her thought processes might be clouded by pain, he said, thereby jeopardizing the informed part of informed consent. My argument in response was that when it comes to knowing the benefits of an epidural and whether or not she wants to receive it, a woman is more informed during childbirth than she ever has been or will be again. <laughs> but of course we're talking about two different kinds of knowledge, two different ways of being informed. One being intellectual knowledge, the kind of knowing that takes place in your head, and the other being experiential knowledge, the kind of knowing that takes place in your gut or with every fiber of your being. In some ways, it's the difference between knowing about something and truly knowing it. I think when it comes to God, there's a difference between knowing about God and actually knowing God. Most of us aren't sitting here because at some point in our lives we heard a riveting explanation of the Trinity or because we read an internet article outlining the eight steps of knowing Jesus as your personal Savior. Most of us are here because of experiences we've had and experiences we want to have. We're here because somewhere along the way in the very doing of our lives we've encountered God, or we've at least glimpsed enough to make us think that such an encounter is possible. We want to know God, not just know about God. We want to be informed with every fiber of our being. In a sermon last year, Pope Francis warned that thoughts and ideas about God are not enough in and of themselves to actually know God, to know Jesus. He offered three doorways into what he called the mystery of Jesus. The first is prayer. We get to know someone by conversing with them or by being in their presence. This is what prayer is all about. Second, we know Jesus by celebrating him, by taking part in the sacraments, especially communion or Eucharist. And third, we know Jesus perhaps most of all by imitating his life, by walking with the poor and crossing all types of barriers and giving ourselves in love. We know God through concrete acts of love. I couldn't help but think about the difference between knowing about and knowing Jesus when I read today's Gospel reading from Mark. Jesus tells the disciples that he will be betrayed, killed, and then rise from the dead on the third day. But at this point in the journey, such talk is just unfamiliar speculation for the disciples, an abstract concept that doesn't help them know Jesus at all. The disciples can't even begin to understand what he's talking about. If they really knew Jesus, they wouldn't be arguing about which one among them is the greatest, right? So Jesus says, fine, you want to know me? 
you want to truly know what I'm talking about, then do this. Embrace a child. Jesus takes a child into his arms and says, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. We come to know Jesus, to know God, not through grand, abstract theological ideas, but in and through the people right in front of us, in the cry of a hungry child, in the desperation of a woman fleeing from an abusive home, in the face of someone who's just been told that the biopsy shows cancer, and a Guatemalan child so weak from malnutrition that she can't walk. If we want to truly understand the death and resurrection of Jesus, we just need to walk with the suffering and with the supposedly unimportant among us. And as we know, there is no shortage of this kind of learning opportunity. A report released in June of this year by the UN revealed that more people worldwide are displaced due to persecution, wars, and conflict than ever before. According to the UN Refugee Agency, one in every 122 humans is now either a refugee, internally displaced, or seeking asylum. Over half of these displaced persons are children, and 86% come from regions considered less economically developed, i.e., the poorer areas of the world. We can hear these numbers. But they often don't become real for us until we see the pictures on the news or on the internet. Refugees walking to Germany along railroad tracks. Boats filled to overflowing and sometimes capsized. The small refugee child lying face down on a beach. We come to know Jesus not by grand ideas or schemes or statistics, but by putting real life faces to all those numbers by embracing such as these. So far, the U.S. has taken in 1,500 Syrian refugees since the beginning of the war in Syria, and President Obama has committed to taking in another 10,000 over the course of the next year. I wonder, what if the U.S. and all the other countries were to measure greatness not in terms of gross domestic product or technological advances or coercive rhetoric, but in terms of how welcoming we are to those in need? What if each one of us were to measure greatness, not by how much money we earn or how many listable achievements we have or by the size of our church, but by how we respond to Christ in the person right in front of us? Now, with all the upheaval and suffering in the world, it's easy to become overwhelmed. It's easy to wonder where God is in all of this and if we ourselves can make any difference at all. At times like this, I often turn to words written by Michael Ramsey, some of my favorite. Michael Ramsey was a former Archbishop of Canterbury, and he wrote this. He wrote, The glory of Christianity is its claim that small things really matter and that the small company, the very few, the one man, the one woman, the one child are of infinite worth to God. Let that be your inspiration, he wrote. Consider the Lord himself. Amidst a vast world with its vast empires and vast events and tragedies, our Lord devoted himself to a small country, to small things and to individual men and women, 
often giving hours of his time to the very few or to the one man or woman. In a country where there were movements and causes which excited the allegiance of many, the Pharisees, the Zealots, the Essenes, and others, our Lord gives many hours to one woman of Samaria, one Nicodemus, one Martha, one Mary, one Lazarus, one Simon Peter. For the infinite worth of the one is the key to the Christian understanding of the many. For the infinite worth of the one is the key to the Christian understanding of the many. Now we do need people in the world who hold big ideas, who understand how things fit together in the grand scheme. They are part of God's gifts and we need them. Such people are crucial and they help us understand the needs of the world. But we hear in today's gospel reading that the big picture isn't enough all by itself. To truly know God, we have to recognize and welcome Christ in the person right in front of us. This man, this woman, this child. Embrace one of these, Jesus tells us, and you will know me. Let that rest on your mind and in your heart this week. As you go about your life and as you see images on the news and on the internet, listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit telling you what it might look like to welcome this particular woman, man, or child. For such as this is the work of seeking and knowing God with every fiber of our being.